Well, I would like to begin today by um, letting you see what is arguably the four most famous paintings of all times. Uh, the first one, not much debate about this, is uh, the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa painted by Leonardo da Vinci back in 1503. The second one, pretty strong, is the girl with the pearl earring, painted by Johannes Viermann in 1665. The third one, a little bit more debatable, I probably would go with the creation of Adam by Michael, uh, Michael, uh, my, uh, Michelo, whatever his name is, uh, Michelangelo, uh, in the Sistine Chapel, uh, but many people go with The Starry Night, uh, with uh, Vincent van Gogh in 1889. And the fourth one, in my estimation, is 100% undebated. The fourth most famous painting in all the world is called the uh, Stingray, and it was painted by my granddaughter. <laughs> These four paintings are what we call masterpieces. They are masterpieces. The Mona Lisa is worth an estimated $700 million dollars. The Starry Night is worth an estimated $100 million. The Stingray is absolutely priceless. You, you got it. But here's the thing I want to tell you. Here's the thing I want to tell you. This is how God sees you. If you don't believe me, let's look at the Word of God Itself, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, the very first line, say it out loud with me, we're going to put it on the screen, ready? For we are God's masterpiece, for we are God's masterpiece. That is how the New Living Bible translated uh, the particular word that Paul used. Uh, other uh, translations don't use the word masterpiece, and I feel as in, in some sort of way that they are really not understanding the depth of what God did to bring you to life and to put you on display. The King James Version of the Bible translates the word that Paul used, uh, workmanship, the New International Version of the Bible, which I typically teach from, uh, used the word handiwork. Uh, but as we're going to see, I think we are more than just a piece of work. Now, some of you are a piece of work, right? But you're much, much more than that. In the Greek, which Paul was writing in, the language he was writing in, uh, the word for work is the word ergon, where we get our word energy. But this is not the word that Paul chose to use in Ephesians 2 and verse 10. He used a Greek word. It's pronounced poema. Poema is the word that he used, and it has less to do with the work and more to do with that of an artist. The only other time that poema is used in the New Testament is found in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, where Paul is taking us back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and describing the work that God did in the creation of the heavens and the earth. And he used the word poema, describing the work that God did as that of an artist. As a matter of fact, even today, if you were to look at a Kansas sky, whether a sunrise or a sunset, 
one of the beauties of living here, you see that what God does is every day he starts with a blank canvas and he paints this amazing sky that is absolutely unique and is absolutely breathtaking. And what Paul is saying is that's how God sees you because that is how God made you. As a matter of fact, the psalmist, in a very famous psalm, you probably have seen it before, he reiterates in Psalm 139, For you created my inmost being. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I believe, though, that this passage is not just referring to how God formed you in the womb of your mother. It's more, and Paul describes that in the very next line of this verse of Scripture. Let's put it on the screen. It, it, say it out loud with me. Ready? He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. What Paul is referring to here is not just how you were formed in the womb of your mother, but he's referring to that time in your life when you became a follower of Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches us in many places that at the moment that you accepted Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, not only did Christ forgive you of your sins, but he did something new in you in addition to what was formed in the womb of your mother. He reiterates this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, writing, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Now, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we have the creation of Adam and Eve, and we are told that they were formed in the image of God, which is quite spectacular. But because Adam and Eve rejected the vision of God, they spoiled that image. It would be like pouring black paint on the Mona Lisa. When Christ came, he not only restored us, but he also did something new within us. And it's very special, and it's very overwhelming. And I'm going to talk to you about that in a moment, and then next week give the whole service to what is that new thing that God formed in you when you accepted Christ as your Savior. Now, it is clear for Paul and important that you understand that, um, that uh, why God is doing this. The question is, why is God doing this in us? And Paul is going to answer that question in the next line of this verse. Let's put it on the screen and say it out loud together. Ready? So we can do the good things. So we can do the good things. God formed us into masterpieces, did something unique in us in the womb of our mother, and also did something brand new in us in addition when we became followers of Jesus for the purpose or so that we could give our life to good things. That our life would be about things that truly, truly mattered. Now, it's also clear, and Paul wants to make it overtly clear, that we are not doing the good works to earn a relationship with God. Did you hear that? We do not do the good works to earn a relationship with God. He made that overtly clear in the previous two verses. You're probably familiar with them. He writes, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Say it with me. Not by works, so that no one can boast. 
If you're taking notes, write this down. The work we do doesn't save us, but expresses the purpose for which we have been saved. Let me say that again. The work we do doesn't save us, but expresses the purpose for which we have been saved. Now, I want to go back to that first line of the sentence, for we are God's masterpieces. In the Greek language that Paul wrote in, this is what it would look like. Let's put it on the screen. Altu, kar esman poiema. That's the word, poiema, right? Literally translated, of him, for we are masterpiece. He said, that's really confusing. Well, the Greek language is very different than the English language. If we were writing this in the Greek, we would say, kar esman poiema altu. For we are masterpieces of him. But in the Greek, when the author wants to express the most important idea, they put that word first. So we circle the word out to. And what Paul is getting across is the outcome of your life and all the things that you have discovered about the masterpiece that God created you in the womb of your mother and even maybe as a follower of Christ and some of the things you don't understand... That is to none of your credit. It is of him. That's why he put it first in the sentence, so that none of us can boast with what we have been given. We are his tour de force, his piece de resistance, uh, magnum opus, the apple of his eye. The bottom line is we were created with purpose. We were created with purpose. We were created for mission. We were created by God, born and born again, to do good works. We were created to be a force of good in our society, to build up, to not tear down. We are born and created to restore and to redeem that which has been lost. That's why we're here. Now, again, we say not to earn a relationship with God, but rather to express the purpose for which we were saved. Now, Paul is going to finish with this shocking conclusion. It's hard to wrap your head around. Let's put it on the screen and say it out loud together. Ready? He planned for us long ago. So we put it together. Um, He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, that can mean one of two things. It could mean that before you were born, God created a list of good things he wanted to see done. Then you were born, and then you were born again, and now he's going to assign some of those good works that he created and wanted done before you were born. He's going to assign them or delegate them to you. That's a possibility. I think it's deeper than that. I think what he's actually saying here is that before you were born again, before you were born, God laid aside some good things he wanted you to do. He wanted you to do specifically in your lifetime, and now he is counting on you that you have been born and born again to actually accomplish those in your life. I call your attention to the life of the prophet Jeremiah. Read it later, Jeremiah 1, verse 4, I believe it is, where we are told that God uh, announces to Jeremiah that his very purpose was given to him, what he would do on this earth before he was even born. I call your attention to Acts chapter 17 in the New Testament, where God tells us that the exact time and the exact place 
that each of us live was predetermined by God long before we were here. Meaning that God has a master plan and you are here in 2024 in this place not by accident and not by your personal decision. You are here because God ordained it to be so. Why? Because he has some good things for you to do. And when you own that and understand that and do that, you are fulfilling the will of God for your life, which is amazing. And you are filling your life up with extreme ecstasy. Modern neuroscience tells us as they look at the brain, when a person lives with a sense of purpose, when a person lives with a sense of clarified mission, it releases all kinds of great chemicals in their brain, which increases your joy. So this is pretty awesome. And the reality is, for some of you, God has preordained that you would do some pretty big things. Maybe find the cure for a major disease or lead a major company that employs thousands of people or lead a worldwide movement. Yeah, that could be what God has in mind for you. But for most of us, it has everything to do with people that God loves and that he puts you here at this time now that you are not only born but born again because he cares about people and he is embedded in you in your mother's womb and when you came to Christ the right kind of abilities and gifts and heart and passion to be able to meet that person at their point of pain and to love on them as agents of God. Back in 2005, Roseanne and I received a call uh, to become a teaching pastor at a church in Chicago. It's arguably the most influential church in the world, evangelical world, in the back half of the 20th century. Uh, uh, very big assignment, uh, called to be a teaching pastor there as, to well, as well as to lead all of their efforts in community and spiritual formation or spiritual development. Our auditorium here seats right around 1,200. Their auditorium seats 7,200. Uh, our average attendance is about 5,000. Their average attendance was slightly over 28,000. And I thought to myself, okay, this is what God preordained for me. The good work to do. It's a big assignment. And he instilled within me in the, in, the, in, the, in the womb of my mother. And then when I became born again, all that I need to accomplish this task. We arrived there in June of 2005. And we left on the same exact day, June 2008, only after three years. It was very clear that we were called to leave and to move away. And I did not, by any stretch of the imagination, accomplish the mission for which I thought I was there. And I had been asking God for a number of months after that, what in the world was that all about? <laughs> right? You know, it's really cold in Chicago, Lord. And, um, and one day, when I got still, that still small voice, God said in a whisper, Randy, do you remember that neighbor of yours that lived four doors down on the other side of the street? Oh, yeah. Do, do you remember the day that he knocked on your door one morning with tears streaming down his face? Oh, yeah, I do, Lord. And he was crying because the night before he was on a business trip and he had an affair and he felt so guilty about it that the next day he woke up and he told his wife and she was pretty upset about it and 
he now believes he's going to lose his family and he's so ashamed and he chose you to be the first person he goes to. Remember how you invited him in and said, listen, I gotta get to work, but what I wanna do is I wanna talk to you about what you really need to do. You may lose your family, but there's something bigger going on that I haven't talked to you about and I wanna do it this afternoon. In the meantime, I want you to read the Gospel of John. You remember that, Randy? Oh yeah, I remember that. He said, uh, do you remember when he called you in the middle of the day and said, how many times do you want me to read the Gospel of John? <laughs> I said once, but he says, oh, I'm already three times through. Because that's what happens when people are desperate, right? And then I called up his wife. You remember that, Randy, when you called up his wife and said, hey, listen, I'm so sorry for this, uh, for this, this has happened in your life, and I'm not going to try to make your marriage work, or I'm not going to try to uh, twist your arm, but I do ask you, because you became a follower of Jesus just a couple months earlier, uh, would you be able to dig down deep enough uh, to meet with me this afternoon with your husband and to see if, even though he may have lost his family, maybe he will find Jesus. And she said, yes. Remember that, Randy? Oh, yeah, I remember it. Did you remember that when you got together after work, you were in their living room, and she was there, and he was there, and you went to, and you said to him, now open your Bible to John chapter 1 and verse 1. And the guy said back to you, what's a chapter and what's a verse? Here's a highly educated man, I knew I was dealing with a very newbie person. I said, the big number is the chapter, and the smaller number is the verse. And you, I walked him through the Gospel of John, and I said, would you like to receive Christ as your Savior? You may lose your family, but you may, at the end of the day, gain Christ. And he said, yes. And do you remember how his wife grabbed his hand with you, and he prayed a prayer? And do you also remember how just a week or two later, Randy, you took him and his wife and his two girls down to the church, and you baptized them as a family? And do you recall, Randy, that they're still together today? I go, yeah, Lord, I remember. He says, that's why you went to Chicago. And I said, you used me, Lord. <laughs> yes, I did. My response is, use me again. It, it's not likely about the big things, folks. It's about somebody that God deeply loves. I love neighbors. If you read any of my writings, you know that Roseanne and I love neighbors. Whether they're ornery or not, we love them. And God said, I needed to put somebody there that I could trust would be there for this man when he hit the wall. And that's why you were there. That is why you were there. And God is doing the same thing for you. Now, two chapters later, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is going to give us insight on some additional gifts that he's given to the church in the form of pastors, teachers, apostles, evangelists. Uh, and he's saying these people have been given to the church to equip the people for these works of service, for these good works, for the ministry. And a lot of people have the notion, oh, the pastors, they're the ones who do the good works, you know? We support them, they do the work. That is not how the scripture sees it at all. We have been given to the church to equip you to do the work inside the church and wherever you may be according to how God formed you in the womb of your mother and the new thing he gave you when you became a follower of Jesus Christ. We are here to discover why on earth are you here? Can you answer that question? Why on earth are you here? 
So let's get the application. Let's get to some application. What are we going to do with God, what God's word has given us today? Well, we have an assessment tool that we use here at Westside called SHAPE. And many of you have taken it, uh, and many of you have not. As a part of our initiative uh, this year, we want everybody who calls Westside home or is thinking about it to take the free SHAPE assessment. The SHAPE assessment gives us insight into how God uniquely formed you as a masterpiece in the womb of your mother and possibly what was the new thing he deposited in you when you became a follower of Christ. The word SHAPE is an acronym. The S stands for spiritual gifts. The H stands for your heart. The A stands for abilities. The P stands for your personality or passions. And then the E stands for the experiences you have. And all these things wrapped up together gives us clues and insights as to why on earth are you here. And so we have created three action steps for you to put the word of God into play in your life. The first one is to take the shape assessment to take the shape assessment and after you leave today out in the commons area you're going to see this little card available to you called shape and on the back is a QR code and a link to take the shape assessment that's action step number one some of you have not taken it in a couple years we're inviting you to take it again and it'll give you feedback the second thing we're asking you to do if you're willing to do it is to meet with one of our shape coaches we have uh, a sea of trained coaches who will sit down with you in person or over a Zoom call and help you best understand how God has uniquely shaped you as a masterpiece and what that might mean for you. And then step three is just that. We want to ask everybody to simply take a next step in discovering God's purpose for why on earth you are here. Now, our shape coaches have been trained. For some of you, um, it will involve serving, and certainly that's going to be for the majority of you. But for some of you, you're not ready for that. What you need is healing, and they're going to direct you to a care group or to counseling. Some of you simply need to grow up, you know, and maybe the shape coach will have the courage to say, you know, you need to grow up, you know, and, and, uh, and recommend a pathway for you to kind of get more mature in your faith. But for the majority of you, it's going to be serving. And, and when it comes to serving, we certainly want you to serve in the area of your shape. We want you to do the most what you do the best. And you will feel God's wind in your sails when you do that. But I also want to remind you, and the shape coach will help you, that when you're a member of a family, uh, sometimes you do things that are not necessarily within your gifting. You do it because you're a member of the family. For example, uh, I'm a member of my family. And when we have uh, eaten dinner and the dinner dishes are all over the place, I say to Roseanne, it's not within my shape assessment and giftedness to help you clean up. It's just not the best use of my time for the stewardship of God. And uh, she says a few things to me. She does sign language, as you know. And she does, she, she, as you know, she does. It's true. And she, she has a couple extra signs that you guys don't know. And, but she uses the ones that you guys know. And and, uh, and I clean up. I'm, I'm the one who takes out the trash. I am the one who makes the bed. And none of this fits within my shape, but I'm a member of the family. And the shape a coach will help you say, if you're a member of the family, that's how our whole heart of Westside begins. We are God's family. And so we want you to serve, sometimes outside of it. But what we're really looking for is for you to do the most what you do the best. I want to wrap up by answering the question, why? Why are we focusing on this right now? 
what's the big drive? It's our actual 2024 initiative. This is it. We are putting all hands on deck on this in terms of the pastors and leaders of this church. Why? Because you told us to. You asked us to. You may recall if you've been a part of Westside for any length of time, in January, uh, we take uh, assessments. We ask you to give us feedback on where you're at, and we take that feedback and literally pray over it with God's word open to determine our, our strategy for the next year. On the odd years, uh, we take an assessment called Reveal, which reveals to us, based on your responses, where you're at in your spiritual journey and how we are doing in helping you. We took this back in 2021, and uh, there was uh, some collective feedback that you gave us on a missing piece in your walk with the Lord and something you wanted us to help you with. But we figured that it had something to do with all the chaos of COVID and that it would work itself out. We took the survey again. You gave us feedback in 2023, and it popped up again. Here is a missing piece in our collective walk with Christ, and we could really use your help. That's why God has you guys here, to help us out. And what was that area? You ask us, we want to put our faith in action. We want to put our faith in action. We want to know more about why God has us on this earth. We want our life to make a difference. We want it to count. But we're struggling on exactly how to do that. And we need you to help us. And I have to tell you that I love being a pastor at this church because of you. Most people in my position pastor a church made up of whiners and complainers. Church this, church that. You're not doing this, not doing that. Not West Side. Whining doesn't fly at Westside. Westsiders are saying, no time for whining and complaining. I want my life to count, Pastor, and I need your help. Am I speaking the truth, church? Yeah. And that's why I love this church. That's why I love this church. Because why? You are a people that wants to put the word of God in your life. You want to align to his truth and Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. We're going to put it up on the board and let's say it out loud together. Here we go. Ready? For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And all of God's people said? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for the launch of this masterpiece series and the initiative in 2024 to close the gap on what this congregation has been screaming for, that they want their lives to count in Jesus. They want to know and discover what uniquely put him in, in them in the womb of their mother and, and, and when they became followers, when they were born and when they were born again. And we just ask that you would give us guidance and wisdom as we help these folks, wonderful folks, discover why on earth they are here. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, on the even years, we take another assessment called Church Pulse. Reveal is a survey that gives us insight just on your spiritual life and then how we are doing in helping you. Church Pulse is an assessment that looks at the five areas of human flourishing. So it's not only your spiritual life, but your relational life, your financial life, your vocational life, as well as your health, your physical and mental 
and emotional health. And we've done this survey a number of times, and we're going to take it again today, actually in the service. It just takes about six minutes. So I'm going to invite you to pull out your phones, like right now, and take a picture of the QR code or text the numbers that you saw right there and begin to download it. Uh, I need to tell you that uh, we had so many people do this in the last service, it kind of crashed the system. And it may happen again, but if it does, just wait. It'll come up. If not, we'll make sure you get the link later. But we need your feedback because we use this feedback to develop our plans to help you. You may have been here in 2019. We did this survey. You gave us feedback that you were having trouble with margin in your life, in time and money. And so uh, we then created an initiative in partnership with Dave Ramsey that did the, uh, the whole margin initiative. And some of you right now are debt-free because of that initiative, right? Uh, we, you gave us feedback in, in the area of marriage that some of you were struggling in marriage, and so we created a partnership with Les and Leslie Perriott and did the Fit to Fight where everyone took an assessment on their marriage, preventative as well as singles taking assessment, and we got after it. We're doing the whole unshakable initiative in building a 20,000-square-foot care facility focusing on relational, mental, and emotional health because of the feedback you gave us and the feedback we got from our community that that is the number one struggle in our area. So we're desperately needing your feedback. So go ahead and try to take the survey. If not, you can do it later. Uh, try to take it. And uh, as we're doing that, we're going to put a little bit of easy listening music on. And then we're going to get into some worship. Amen? Okay. God bless. <laughs> 